Hello, my warrior loves. Welcome to Beyond Body, a mini series where we are exploring body image and how to change the internal and external scripts that influence the way you think and feel about your own body. Subscribe and follow along to hear real life stories and experiences on the path to body image healing. Now, if negative body image is holding you back and fueling your eating disorder, listen up. This February, we are curating a small, intimate group of warriors for Beyond Body, a six-month body image accelerator program that brings together tangible practices you can call on for the rest of your life and an intimate group format for deep learning, healing, and integration. Now, we officially start in March, so February is the time to get your application in and get on a discovery call to see if Beyond Body is for you. Beyond Body is a safe container designed for women in their mid to late 30s, 40s, and 50s who want to do real, long-lasting work to improve their body image so this one precious life can be enjoyed more fully and freely. With the right approach, skills, and support, body dissatisfaction doesn't have to hold you back in your relationships and career. If you want to make this the year you do deeper body image healing work during the spring and summer months, request an invite to apply for Beyond Body at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Spots are limited, so get yours in now by requesting an invite to apply at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Today I'm with Nikki. Nikki is a longtime member of the Courage Club and has been such a wonderful woman to get to know and cheer on over the years. Even though she is an Essex Brit who's living all the way on the other side of the world in New Zealand, I still feel really connected with her through our daily gratitudes and celebrations. And I've just been able to see her journey from so many different angles. And it's just beautiful to be able to connect with her today. And we also shared a letter that Nikki wrote her younger self few episodes back, and I do recommend checking it out. It was so inspirational and just wonderfully worded. Nikki documents her story of recovery from anorexia on her blog, Squash Stigma Not Fat. I love that name, Nikki, Squash Stigma Not Fat. And I'm so happy to have her on today to dive into her body image story and healing process. So Nikki, so great to have you here. Thanks. Great to be with you. I mean, I've been a Long time follower, and and it's as you say, it's been years that we've been connected. It was kind of surreal being sat across the microphone, other side of the world, talking to you. So, I know we've had like so many different calls that we've done, and I'm curious with your blog, Squash Stigma Not Fact. Where did that drive come for you to want to write and share your story there? And kind of, I think it kind of brought various. Uh, I guess peaks and troughs of recovery as we know recovery is not linear but I kind of felt various points in in recovery I kind of found my voice and recovery is a really lonely place and it was actually kind of through recovery warriors and reading blogs and listening to the podcast and connecting with other other people that was the thing that made the biggest I guess the biggest difference to myself and not feeling alone and it kind of started off more as a I guess a cathartic thing and I didn't really think that anybody would you know follow or listen or read it it was more just a getting my words out on paper and with the hope that if one person maybe resonated with anything I, I, I said and felt less alone and that's kind of how it started and I guess part of my motivation was I'm a doctor and Working in healthcare 
it's very stigmatized having any mental health issues. And I felt quite passionate when I started that I wanted to break some of that stigma down, hence the squash stigma. (laughs) And I wanted to kind of be a bit more vocal and share a bit of vulnerability. And then that's kind of ebbed and flowed as to whether or not I felt kind of as open and sharing. And that's not always been something I've felt open to doing. And that's kind of how it started, really. Yeah, that, I mean, medical doctors, I feel like there can be this kind of thing, like I need to have an authority. I also see that with therapists, but there can be that, like, I can't show my true self, which is so lonely to be in a career and a profession feeling like you can't be transparent or just authentic. Exactly that, exactly that. And I think it's a place where it's really important to, to give a voice to that and actually own it. And, you know, behind, the, behind our career, we are humans. So we do have our struggles and it's kind of hidden and it's unspoken. It's really stigmatized. And I think it's, yeah, you kind of have to speak it to heal it and the culture won't change unless we start changing it. I love that attitude. So I felt quite passionate about it. So that's where it started. Well, and medical doctors too, I mean, talk about pressure and stress that people can be put on and like the shifts, like 12 hour shifts and just like the whole career of itself. It's like, you don't expect people to struggle with their mental health. No, exactly (laughs) that. And it's kind of rife with the, you know, the, I guess the culture of you should know better. And the amount of times that I heard that when I was going through treatment and I even had, you know, health professionals telling me, well, you should know better than this. And it's kind of breaking down some of those myths. And well, it's, you know, it's not about, it's not about that. It's a eating disorders and body image. It's not about, it's their health issues in themselves. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Doctors aren't immune to having health issues. Exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. So let's dive into your story here. At what age did you first become aware that your body was something to manage and keep small? And was there anything that was going on in your life at that time? So I was always, I guess, from a very young age, acutely aware, hyper aware of my body and what it could do. My brother has cerebral palsy. So from a very young age, it wasn't necessarily a negative thing that I was aware of the differences in my body, but I kind of learned very early on that, and I, I had a kind of misplaced guilt, I guess, that my body could do a lot more than my brother's could. He's older than me, and I was acutely aware of the differences very young. And it wasn't negative to begin with, and that didn't really, the negative body images didn't really start until I was kind of a little bit older, maybe eight or nine when I started doing gymnastics. But I was always the little one, so... My nickname all throughout my childhood was Little Nikki because I was always the smallest in my class. I was born prematurely, so I was small. So I kind of learned very early on that small was good and it was kind of reinforced and that was kind of my identity. But when I started doing gymnastics and wearing the very kind of, you know, body fitting leotards, I kind of became more body aware and self-conscious And it wasn't even necessarily comments about my own body. It was around people around me. That kind of started to shift more kind of negative. And eventually I left gymnastics because I became very self-aware and self-conscious. And I actually got involved in track, track and field around kind of 10 or 11. And also what was going on in my life around that time is we had quite a few family deaths and I developed quite severe OCD so I kind of 
developed the need for control quite early on. And that later translated into needing to keep my body small and perpetuating that kind of identity and that small equaled good. And that was reinforced by kind of society and people around me. And then athletics kind of came in at the same time. And that's kind of where it started. And it kind of continued throughout my life and several other life events. In my mid-teens, I developed quite a severe bone marrow disorder and my life was completely out of control at that time and I had lots of doctor uh, visits and I was being weighed a lot and my you know when you're having to go to the doctors a lot and having time out of school and college my life was really out of control and the one thing I could focus on was my body and uh, I guess my size and being weighed was always part of those visits and that was something that if I could control my weight then I could feel in control of my body when everything else around me was out of control. And that kind of carried on indefinitely after that. Was there an awareness with your family or people that like that there was this identity that you were attaching to being small? And do you feel like when did they start to notice that this was going towards an eating disorder for you? I guess on the outside, I looked like a very driven, I mean, I'm a very driven person anyway. And from some ways, obviously, that part of my personality has gotten me to where I am today. I think it just looked like I was a very driven athlete. And on the outside, I mean, with hindsight, yes, now, definitely. And various health professionals at the time did kind of question it, but I wasn't in a place where I wanted to accept help. And there was a lot of other things going on within our family that it kind of wasn't really discussed or uh, There wasn't the awareness, you know, 20, 25 years ago about eating disorders that there is now. So I just looked like I was very healthy on the external. Yeah, so not really. Mm. And that can be easy to just go under the radar if you are just like, look at her. She's just a driven athlete and good (laughs) academic, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Especially too, if there's other things like you're saying going on with the family and your older brother, like in a way it's easier for you to not want to raise any awareness to to what you're going through. What was your biggest body insecurity back then and how has it evolved? Back then, it was definitely not being the center of attention. So it wasn't really, it kind of, um, it was a bit of a shapeshifter for me. So I didn't want to be, I never wanted to be the center of attention. So so staying small was always a way of kind of staying out of the radar, staying out of the spotlight, not drawing attention to myself. And I guess in some ways, um, not being quote unquote, the problem child when obviously my brother had got a lot of issues and I didn't want to cause issues. (laughs) But I also was a goofy child. I had braces and I was very insecure as having braces and being that goofy child. I was also quite athletic. So I was quite muscly. Although I was quite small, I developed quite a muscly body and I started getting a lot of comments and I was kind of bullied um, by the boys because I didn't have the typical feminine physique. uh, And I was very aware of my, I guess, boyish like figure Uh, so I was very self-conscious of my arms and wanting to cover them up and just not wanting to be seen Mm. and just keeping as small as possible I guess and how has that evolved today to accept more of your your natural constitution and I think I just kind of now I'm owning that now and I think it's actually 
taking the focus outside of my body has been one of the biggest things for me. So actually stepping outside of that obsession and because I spent so many years obsessing over my body and keeping small and in that way made my life really small. And I think really over the last kind of year, it's actually been shifting that focus completely outside of my body and growing my life. And actually, can't, I guess, without wanting to sound really cheesy, coming home to myself and rediscovering who I am outside of all the obsessions. And yeah, I guess coming home. That's beautiful. And what's something that's helped you come home that you wouldn't have discovered if you were so focused on your body? I think it's a lot of it's been kind of discovering what I like and what I want and learning learning what what Nikki likes what I like and not just what I should be conforming to and exactly exactly that not obsessing over staying small and actually developing a voice and uh, yeah it's a work in progress and I think I think that's always going to be the case that we should be evolving always I don't want to stay stagnant yeah. Well, even your writing, you know, like you're a wonderful writer and that's that's helping you. It's moving you in a direction, right? Doing something that you haven't Thank done you. as much before. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> how did food and exercise tie into the way you tried to fit a body ideal and how do you see it differently today? Yeah. So these have been huge for me and they're still, they're still again, I mean, always a work in progress, <laughs> but I think Food has always been, and this might sound a little bit strange, but food has never been something that has been enjoyable to me. It always, I always felt like something was missing when, when you hear people say, oh, food is something to be enjoyed, food is pleasurable. That always, that always kind of, it grated because I didn't, it seemed like that was like a missing link. It was always for me a way of control, a way of, yeah, I guess a way of controlling my body, my feelings, and it was just like a missing link. Uh, and it's now working on that now as like a healing and finding ways of enjoying food again and rediscovering that food can be pleasurable. But that's always been something that was just missing for me. <laughs> Whereas exercise has been a very complicated part of my of my process. And I'm still, I should be honest, I'm still working through that. Exercise has been, for me, as I said, I was always very athletic when I was younger. And my mum my mom would say that I could run before I could walk. I pretty much came out <laughs> running. So <laughs> I've, um, I've kind of had a very difficult relationship with exercise since I was very small. And I think part of that is related to the guilt that I placed on myself around the difficulties with what my brother could, couldn't do um, and what I could. So I had this kind of self, self-enforced self pressure and guilt that I needed to kind of almost make up for what he couldn't do. And, I mean, that was completely misplaced because, I mean, my brother was my biggest, uh, I guess, my biggest uh, cheerleader when I was small. But it drove me to, to always push harder, to do more and... It became my identity very, very early on that I was going to be kind of very good at whatever I did and I was going to 110% into everything. So it became very obsessive, became my identity and it became, again, a way of control and my identity 100%. And it's, yeah, it's something that I'm working working on now. 
And it's definitely something that I am healing and it's a lot better, so much better now. So I've found, I've found ways of moving now that are joyful uh, and it's not about obsession now and it's about finding balance. Um, and it's just been kind of relearning pretty much everything to do with food and, and moving my body. Now with food, you said in the past, it just like, it just wasn't appetizing to you. Like you didn't really like, was that more of the eating disorder? Like, was there guilt associated with it? Or literally you just weren't very attracted to food? Like just food didn't do it for you in the sense, like didn't. All of the above. Okay. All of the above. So it was like, there was like a missing link. So I never got the kind of food didn't do it for me. Um, There wasn't like, you know, it just seems like everyone else around me would find, you know, they loved food, <laughs> but I never really, I never found that. So it kind of, in some ways, it made the eating disorder that much, I guess, quote unquote, easier because I just was like, well, I'm not bothered about food. It doesn't bother me. But then in some ways, it's also made recovery a little bit harder because like, food just hasn't really been something that I've ever really cared that much about. And then there was also guilt and all the shame that comes with, you know, the the behaviors and the everything that goes with an eating disorder. I'm curious, have you ever tried to like eat certain foods with blindfolds on just to really allow like like increasing your sensory experience around it? Have you ever tried that? That's something that I'm currently kind of working on at the moment. So yeah, that's been something that with my uh, therapist and dietitian, yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's kind of like some we're doing like embodiment work, but just like to allow different because so, sometimes the senses can get dulled or just some aren't as activated as others. Yeah. And then with exercise, is there also something that you're working on with like, because, you know, when, exercise can help reduce anxiety. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to exercise. And so have you found that like there was probably a drive too if you're such a driven kind of perfectionist mentality that it helps kind of chill you out a bit, right? Like it helps kind of bring that down a notch. So are you finding there are other things that you're doing or just even see that connection there? Definitely. And I think just taking the pressure out of the exercise so and learning that exercise doesn't have to be all or nothing and taking any kind of numbers away, any kind of parameters away has been a game changer and learning that just movement in itself it doesn't have to be like you know a ridiculous run or it doesn't have to be you know really intense for it to make you feel good I mean you and I were talking offline just before about uh, a recent hike in Yosemite and that for me was almost like an aha moment just being outside just being in nature and beauty I've never felt so I guess happy and connected to myself and there were no numbers there was no uh, no parameters that I was following it was just being outside being in nature with my husband and it was just amazing and I walk to work most days and I see the sunrise and I listen to quite often uh, recovery warriors podcast and it's just relearning that all movement can have a purpose and a place and it doesn't have to be you know for the sake of any kind of control Mm, yeah. There's no like personal records like when you're hiking and you're yeah, exactly there's that. no like, I yeah. saw five hawks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone in your life make body image healing harder for you? Oof. Uh, so nobody, I think pretty much everyone that's come on here has said nobody intentionally. <laughs> but- I want someone to be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
everybody. <laughs> everyone. Um, Mom, I'm throwing you under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, we live in an inherently fat phobic society and we are all humans. Uh, nobody, nobody, I just want to say nobody intentionally. But I think one of the big things for me is training in a Western society and Western healthcare, that has definitely been a really tough one to recover into because the beliefs that I trained under, I've had to unlearn in recovery, but I show up to work day in, day out in a weight-centric healthcare setting. And some days it is definitely like wading upstream without a paddle. So it's tough. Uh, And I think, you know, when I'm, I'm trying now to unlearn all of the things that I trained learning. And I think I also feel really grateful to recovery because I think recovery has given me a very unique opportunity to unlearn a lot of the harmful messages. And now I get to practice with the benefit of coming from a health every size aligned practice, which also means I get to use that in my day to day and practice with from authenticity. But some days it is really tough (laughs) and you almost need to go into work with the armor on. (laughs) But that definitely can make it hard sometimes when everyone around you hasn't had, I guess, the I see it as an opportunity, the recovery, that we've had to do the work that others will probably never have to do. Um, So, yeah, sometimes that's tough. And then just being in a society where it's rife with diet culture, friends, family, they're still surrounded by it. It's the human experience. Um, Yeah, some days it's harder. But one of the things about Courage Club is I've made friends for life and we have our little kind of WhatsApp chats. And I think some days we... We exchange some of the kind of some of the crappy things that are said to us and we get to rewrite them. And it actually really helps rewriting some of the stuff that's said. And sometimes that resorts to kind of cat memes and all sorts of things that really helps. But yeah. That's good. It's so helpful to have people who are building the same social reality or like the new the paradigm, right? Because then it really helps you be like, okay, I'm going the right direction here. Like, and so and many people are. Yeah. 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 And just not feeling alone and having so, having a group of community that kind of get it and do believe the same things and are learning the same things that you are and are kind of holding you up. It's kind of, yeah, that really helps. And unlearning the same things <laughs> like yeah. you're saying. Yeah, exactly. That. Un- double negative there. <laughs> learn and unlearn what has having a bad body image cost you um so many things okay so I found this one really cathartic so probably take a seat here (laughs) um so I think one of the biggest things was that it kind of it cost me myself it cost me my health my mental health a lot of physical health um and some of those things I'm still still dealing with now uh, and as well as the physical and the mental health side of things, it cost me a lot of financially. So whether that was, you know, spending money on the latest fad diets or whatever I was conforming to at the time, I also, and I still am working through the shame of this, but I didn't feel able to seek health help through the public system. So I actually funded a lot of my own treatment in the private sector, which I was very fortunate and I own the privilege that I could do that, but it it cost us a lot. I mean, 
I felt like I was going backwards when all my peers around me were kind of progressing in life, when they were, you know, doing things that normal people our age, quote unquote normal, were doing. I held a lot of shame that I was, you know, spending money on things that because I was having to invest it in in treatment and because I didn't feel that I could seek help uh, because I was afraid of, you know, my colleagues knowing that I was having treatment in the public system. Wow, and that's that stigma, why it's important to squash that stigma, huh? Yeah. And then I guess it definitely put a strain on relationships. I did I um I did lose some friendships. It definitely put a strain on other relationships as well. So there were a lot of costs. Yeah. And it is. There's shame can come into that, right? I think finding that self-compassion that you're doing the best that you can for for yourself and that you deserve that care. What steps did you take to repair your body image? I think, and I mean, this one was a big one for me last year or the year before, I guess, as well. And again, at the risk of sounding cliche, you really need to feel it to heal it. I, my body image really was at its lowest when I went through a period where I was struggling with infertility, um, pregnancy loss and early menopause. And I had so much body grief and body resentment at this time that I completely lost my way and I really felt my body image just completely, completely took a huge hit, I guess. And I probably fell, I took a a huge hit in terms of my ED um, and I had so much grief that I was out of control, my body was out of control uh, and I guess I just needed to get to a place where I accepted that I needed help and I kind of I was in a very dark place and I think that you have to go through the dark it's not all kind of I know we're sat kind of talking through the good things but I think we have to it was was only through going through the really dark times that I really processed and healed a lot of my body image through I guess some of the acceptance and healing that grief and I lost my I completely lost my purpose, my meaning, because all I ever wanted before all of that happened was to be a mum, to have a family, and all of that was gone, and I just felt completely out of control. And I think I really needed to find a new meaning, and it's really been through the last kind of year processing, finding new purposes, new meanings, that actually that's what's kind of the steps that I've taken and other things like work, obviously working through a lot of therapy to do that, but re-engaging in the Courage Club was also huge for me and connecting with people that had had shared experience. Connection is huge for me because that was such an isolating time in my life. I've never felt so lonely uh, and just reconnecting to both myself, other people and just finding life again was huge and gratitude. I know. I know a few others have talked about gratitude, but I really think that the gratitude practice is just, it's just so grounding in just finding small things every day to, to find, to be grounding. And that's really been a kind of a a big shift for me in the last kind of couple of months that even with the, the big changes that were happening and the grief that I had, 
just finding small things to be grateful for kind of kept me kind of hanging on a little bit and staying connected to things and bit by bit things kind of started to open up again and I found that I wasn't as resentful or sad anymore. Yeah, grief has so many layers to it, huh? It's like not this like singular emotion. It's it's just the intersection of sadness, acceptance, anger, resentment, so many other. I actually have on my whiteboard in front of me, my office, I have grief spelled out and it says go resolutely into every feeling. Like that's kind of the, what is that? Where you do like the little word poems. <laughs> like I feel like it's yes. <laughs> so many, so many parts to it. So many. You layers. just got to go yeah. into it like resolutely. They're just like, oh, yeah. like whatever this is, like I'm yeah. going to feel it. Now you said feel it to heal it. Yeah. And you can't rush it. That's the thing. I kind of, you can't rush it and you have to, I really had to embrace it and go through it. And I don't know if it ever fully goes away. I think it's the relationship to it changes. So where it's welcomed and if it's yeah. not resisted, then it is much more fluid, but it can come in waves, yeah. you know, And but it's not like trying to hold back all the waves because then that's when you just create all this tension and pressure and like- Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. My yeah. heart goes out to you. That's like so many experiences to take in at once. Thank you. I'm also grateful to it because it's opened up so many other, I guess, avenues and opportunities that I wouldn't have even known were there had I not have gone through it. And in some ways, I'm actually really grateful for for all of all of it. I don't, I know, I don't have any resentment to it anymore, and I'm in a I'm in a place of kind of acceptance now. And I'm actually for the first time, I'm actually feeling quite. I guess excited for the next kind of what comes next and I mean not everybody obviously will will get to that place and I don't want to undermine you know other people's experience of infertility and pregnancy loss and for us it's kind of it's taken a long time to get there yeah so it's I'm I'm grateful for other things that are opening up now yeah I always kind of like to think of our soul's journey and like the soul comes in to experience certain things and at times it's not like, no, 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 I wouldn't want to experience that. Like, <laughs> but then it's like so much, yeah. so much growth comes from it and like connection to who you are, like the deeper core of who you are. And aside from yeah. what you think you need to yeah. live your life like as or, yeah. What has come into your life more now that you're not so focused on judging and changing your body? So many things. I feel, I feel so much more connected to myself and I feel a lot more connected to others. I feel, I guess, the underlying theme of that is love. And I know that this is something that you have kind of, you're a big, I guess, cheerleader for this and advocate for this, that, you know, as things open up, more love comes in. And it's true. I've kind of, my life has gotten a lot bigger. And I'm seeing that I've had glimpses of what freedom can look like, and what what my life can look like if I keep going. I mean, I've got a lot of work still to do and I don't want to make it sound, you know, kind of like I'm there yet, but I'm getting glimpses of what freedom can look like and I'm feeling like things are getting better and my life is definitely getting bigger again. That's great. What is your biggest body image healing milestone? Um, oh, I... uh. I don't know that there's one milestone, but I think it's lots of little ones that kind of I'll have days where at the end of the day I'll kind of 
noticed that I didn't spend the entire day listening to the negative. Like we have people with eating disorders, we tend to be really hard on ourselves and we have a very negative voice that's inside our heads. And if I can get to the end of the day and I haven't had, you know, lots and lots of negative um, thoughts, and maybe I've had a positive thought or a positive uh, maybe I've said something good about myself that day that wouldn't have happened before and um, that's starting to happen more and more and I think I mean I shared this on the the gratitudes the other day one of my celebrations was that I, I I've had my mirrors covered up for forever and I felt that I didn't need to hide anymore so I took all the co- the covers off my mirror for me that felt like quite that felt quite like a big milestone for me because I don't feel the need to hide anymore so yeah, I don't think there's any big milestone per se, but just lots of little things. And you had your flowy gratis dress, right, too? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like my new dress that I wore to work. And <laughs> yeah, I felt great. Yeah, I had a new dress and yeah, I felt like a, I felt like a goddess walking around work that day. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, lots of little things. You know, I'm curious with... Uh... You said that you, like, have you always felt like your body was more masculine? You said the boys would make fun of you. Is that something, like, because I've always felt that, like, personally, so I'm just kind of bringing my own, but, like, I've always felt, like, a little more masculine in my in my body. And yeah. so dresses always were actually kind of, like, ball player in a dress. Like, that's kind of how my mind would see it instead of just, like, flowing goddess in a dress. So at least <laughs> when you posted that, part of me was just like, yes, like, just being able to be yeah. in a feminine flowing fabric and and feel that energy and not was yeah. that kind of is that something that you've yeah exactly that has that been part of your body image healing is like yeah I mean I I've never been you know, girly girl I mean I mean I'm sat opposite you wearing kind of a, a shirt not exactly dressed particularly girly today <laughs> but yeah it's never been I've never been like you know girly girl or so yeah wearing kind of the dress the other day I felt it just felt really um I felt I guess empowered and it just felt nice. So it felt good to be able to put on a dress and feel good in my dress and not not be worried about what other people were going to think or say and just, yeah, feel good in it. Cool. What do you appreciate most about your body? Well, I'm a nerd for a start. So <laughs> <laughs> I uh, there's many things about bodies I find very cool. But I think one of the big things is that my body is still going and didn't give up on me when... Uh, for all the things I put it through, but I think um, the things it can do. I mean, bodies are quite cool. They're very resilient, and um, yeah, I the fact that I can put on my running shoes and I can go for a run and I can go for a hike or I can fall asleep at the end of the day. Like, just the yeah, bodies are cool things. So. They really are, huh? They're like these earth suits that are just they like are. here to go the distance with you. <laughs> yeah. 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 What is something you know now that you wish younger you would have heard when developing her beliefs about her body? It's a little small Nikki. So I guess I'll give a very abbreviated version of my letter, but... Um, <laughs> Please go listen to the letter. It's awesome. Or read it on, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on her life. But yeah, I mean, the body has never been the issue. Your body will never be the issue. We live in a society that will always be changing and there is nothing that is inherently wrong with you or us and there's nothing that about me or you that will need fixing. Mm. Those are beautiful words to hear. 
What would you say to folks struggling to believe that they can be happy and healthy in their bodies no matter what they look like? Um, first of all, I want to send compassion to anybody who feels like this because it's a horrible place. And I, yeah, it's a horrible place to be. Um, and I wouldn't have believed it could get better even a few months ago. But you just have to believe in other people. If other people around you are telling you it can get better, just hold on to that belief until you can believe it yourself. And just day by day, little things can change. And I think sometimes just focusing on the little wins really helps and not focusing on where you want to get to all the time, because I think sometimes that can feel so overwhelming. And actually focusing on where you've come from can really help sometimes rather than where you've got to get to because sometimes that's just yeah that's really hard but my mother-in-law um sent me texts that I've still got on my phone that I come back to really often and I might just share that because I this is something I come back to every day she sent me a text um that says your recovery must come first so that everything in your life doesn't come last be willing to be a beginner every single morning and that's a mantra that I follow every single day And I think it really helps me kind of on a tough day, a beginner every day and just keep going. I love that. There's so much humility in that too, you know, like, and with such a you know strongly developed ego that you have, like to be able to like get to like all these achievements, you know, like to, to, to have that humbleness and just humility is, you know, one of our spirit animals for the Courage Club is the turtle. Because I feel like the (laughs) turtle like can't be too fixated I know it's like the unsexiest like spirit animal, but the turtles just like just slow and steady and just chilling. It can't think too far ahead. It can't even see too far ahead because it just has its turtle vision, which is like literally like right in what's in front of it. And it just does the step after the step. So I do feel like a turtle probably does have that like beginner's yeah. mindset every day, just grounding into like, okay, what's the next step? And I loved it. I love it when you share your turtle pictures and yeah, you share your turtle pictures every uh Every time you go for a walk and it always makes me uh, love that they're the, the spirit animal. I think they, uh, I think they're the perfect recovery animal actually. Yeah. They have the little shell when they're like, oh, things are a little intense right now. <laughs> like I'm just going to go into my yeah. shell. Hide away, hide away. Okay. <laughs> okay. But then, you know, we, I was thinking the other day, like I've never seen this. I was about to Google it, but I didn't like, what happens if we take a turtle's shell off? Like what's a naked turtle look like? Like, do, does it, is it like a lizard? I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know. I was like undressing a turtle yesterday. I was like, what happens if I take your shell off? Like, is it just like a skinny yeah, little lizard? I can <laughs> just with this, like, oh, yeah. well, where can all the warriors stay in touch with you? How can they connect with your blog and you read your, your work, your letter? Um, so I'm not that active on social media, but I do have an Instagram these days, it tends to be more kind of pictures of um, nature. My cat, my cat gets kind of a lot of uh, a lot of attention on social media. But yeah, Instagram, it's kind of Bernie underscore uh, NB. Or my uh, my blog is Quash Stigma. Again, not overly active on there, but feel free to connect. Awesome. Well, it's been so great to connect with you, Nikki, and I love your perspective on things and your the spirit you bring to the recovery process and the humility and beautiful. Oh, thank you, Jessica. It's been great to talk to you. Oh, well, lovely listener, your body is a powerful and amazing instrument whose job is to carry you through this world and help you experience life. 
And so we are here for you. Subscribe and continue to follow this series and come join us on the path to body freedom and learn what it means to fully live in your body, regardless of your shape, your size, or the number on the scale. Go to recoverywarriors.com slash beyond to request an invite to apply for Beyond Body. This is our six-month body image accelerator program for middle-aged professional women with a history of an eating disorder. So once again, that's recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. We would love to connect with you close and personal week after week for many months and many moons to do this deeper healing work together. Thank you so much for being a part of this.